High school, I'm um, an intermediate here on this site, five minutes down the road at our Golflands campus. We have a primary school and brand new blocks being built there to um, host and house and classroom many other students, as well as our newly added Mount Albert campus, obviously out in Mount Albert. And Murray has been leading the school and doing a phenomenal job. He's an exceptional leader, an amazing man of God. And I honestly, every time I hear Murray speak, I feel like I'm sitting in front of the next Prime Minister of New Zealand. Like the wisdom, the insight, the godliness is incredible. And I know you're gonna be so blessed. Church, can we put our hands together and welcome up Mr. Murray Burden. Well, I certainly can't do what the current Prime Minister is about to do anyway. So maybe we should stop the comparisons right there. I want to end up tonight where a preacher would normally begin. We're in an evangelical church tonight. We've been doing everything that an evangelical church would do in all the Christianese. And I want to attempt to speak without it and take you to it. Somehow I think that perhaps tonight, even though the ladies will be absolutely stuffed and had it, there is someone in the room tonight who may need to come on a journey with me. Here's the journey. Charlie Brown says, sometimes I lay awake at night and I ask, where have I gone wrong? Then a voice says to me, I think this is gonna take more than one night. And I feel the same way. I have a problem, you see. My problem is that was I brainwashed as a child? Spiritually, was I brainwashed as a child? Now these days we are asked to critique and evaluate lots of things. Where did your coffee come from? Is it ethical? Is that food you're eating what you should be eating? The stuff that drives you insane. Even where'd you get your clothes from? Well, I'm not telling you. But I hope they got paid more than 50 cents an hour. And so on. And I'm not against critique because my job is all about critique. I work. I plan for what I work. And then someone asked me why I do what I do. Could I have done it any better? Every month I produce four or five reports and people read them at the end of the year. I get critiqued on my performance. Could I do any better? I get a new government and they have their opinions, that bunch, and we do it all over again. So I'm not against critique. I love thinking about what we do and I want you to join with me tonight. Hey, I'm just a very ordinary guy. I grew up in Palmerston North. I know it's a filthy place, but that's all right. <laughs> I had a really amazing journey at school. I remember um, in my growing up days being chased by my father with a belt. I was the black sheep of the family. I was the one who tried smoking. I was the one who, who tried stealing. I actually had a record with the Palmerston North Police for a wee while. I think they mainly tried to scare um, everything out of me, um, but I kept on doing it. I wasn't bright at school, but I but I worked really hard. I remember I was in a massive uh, rugby school and I remember waiting, and I know the date of it, here it is. I remember on the 2nd of February, 19, wait for this, 74, <laughs> waiting for the message from the rugby master that I was selected to train for the first 15. And it never came. Oh, it never came. That's what we wanted to do. Instead, I played second violin in the orchestra. 
Make of that what you want, I don't know. I do remember in year eight inviting a girl called Deborah Davis to the year eight dance. Yeah, it was my first time up on the floor and I slipped over because I had borrowed my father's shoes. I've never seen Deborah since. <clears throat> so I'm just an ordinary sort of a bloke making sense of the world. And maybe that's where you're at tonight. Can I read to you from Matthew 7, an important foundational thing? Because what I want to do tonight, is it coming up? It will. What I want to do tonight is give you some foundations and let you challenge them in your own mind. And then as you, see, as you heard me talk, I want to finish in a particular spot. These words I speak to you are not incidental, additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living, they are not foundational words, words to build a life on. Sorry, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock, rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if Next slide, you are just, if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter, don't you love these words, who built up his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. You used to sing that in Sunday school. Hey, you don't even know what Sunday school is, do you? The wise man built his house upon the sand and the rains came down and the floods came up. Oh, I was, see, I told you I was brainwashed yeah. to the point where I can remember those silly old songs. You see, I grew up believing there was a God. He was creator. Things didn't go well and what he had created. There was some sort of rebellion and a whole lot of stuff came down. In fact, rain came down and we started all over again. Things once again deteriorated to the point where there was serious intervention on God's part, committing his son to lay it all on the line for a world full of people that either didn't want to know him or just didn't get him at all. You either fully believe that he rose from the dead and accepted his promise of forgiveness and later you got some streets of gold or you drifted in and out of trust and relationship and you flatly refused it as nonsense. You did your own thing. That was the story I grew up on. And the reason I knew it was true is because we lived it in our home. My parents lived it. It was the way it was. And also they talked about a book and this book was called the Bible. Now I grew up reading this book, studying the book, attempting to follow it. I actually believed it was the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. I was trained in it. And I asked myself again, was I brainwashed? Because guess what? I've never pulled away from it, never. I often wonder what that is. In fact, what's more, I actually believed it and I felt it so genuinely in my world, you can call it a crutch if you like, but I grew up with a, a group um, who played, uh, we bought their albums, Andre Crouch and the Disciples. This Afro-American band came here to New Zealand and they sang a song that says, but if heaven was never promised to me, Neither God's promise to live eternally, it's been worth just having the Lord in my life. That was me. 
Often I say, if I got it all wrong, if we all got it wrong, and this was just one massive hoax, it still would have been worth it. Somehow it changed my world. Somehow it made me be a good person. My fallback position was, well, it was some sort of a moral compass. I want to read to you from an amazing South African writer, Alan Patton. He wrote this, among his many, many writings, he wrote a book called Cry the Beloved Country. And I cannot enter into all the emotions of what he wrote, but some will be able to. And it just goes on page after page. But I want to read to you. He says this, I shall no longer ask myself if this or that is expedient, but only if it is right. I shall do this not because I'm noble or unselfish, but because life slips away and because I need for the rest of my journey a star that will not play false to me, a compass that will not lie. You see, the problem is, it's not just that I've been brainwashed. That's pretty much simple to work out. That's a bit of a cop-out, really. The fact is that there are some building blocks into this moral compass life that demand either or a yes or a no. We can't just sit here and think, well, that's nice for some, because life demands a yes or a no. If I backed my intellect, my study, if I even backed myself to choose what would be in the book or not in the book, I would be out on what I call an arrogant limb and vulnerable to any teaching. My challenge, one of the first challenges tonight is this. If I'm to make sense of the world, I'm either in or I'm out. Now, that may be an interesting thing to say because many people sit on the fence for so long. And there are people tonight sitting in this room that really have grown up in this place in an evangelical sense and they've never really taken time to critique or to step back and answer some questions. And I, I give credit to my son Jackson for getting me on this journey, his relentless not knowing, wanting to know God. And it's caused me to go back and think. You see, the Bible for me is a manual. But it's kind of interesting like this. If you buy an Apple phone today, you don't get a manual. You just start playing with it. It's intuitive. And as much as I think the Bible is a manual, something gripped me in the Bible that says, I just want to know more. It's almost like a hand in a glove. The words are not just academic words. At some point, they will leap off the page to you and grip your heart. Let's bring up the next slide. John 1 says this, the word was first and the word present to God, God present to the word. The word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life and life was a light to live by. The light light Sorry, the life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. What do you make of that? The word is God. God is the word. It's funny how we say, oh, God is silent. Well, pick up the word. God always speaks through his word. So I'm having a real problem in my journey because I, just like the clay, am I a person to argue with the potter? 
How dare I question what he is doing? Unless, of course, he's not a building block in my life. And I found it very difficult to put the Bible down. There are some things in the Bible that just grip me. Listen to this next slide. At his thundering, my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. He lets it loose under the whole heaven and his lightning to the ends of the earth. He thunders with a voice of his majesty. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. He says to the snow, fall on the earth. And he speaks to the showers and to the downpour of his mighty rains. Be strong. Next slide. Listen to this. Job, stand still. Consider the wonders of God. Do you know about the layers of thick clouds that are poised in the heavens? The wonderful works of him who is perfect in knowledge. What words shall we say to such a being? And then God himself says this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know. It's almost like potter to clay. Who determined the measurements of the earth if you know? Who stretched the measuring line on it? Who marked it for my boundary, defining the shorelines? And he said, this far you shall come, but no farther. Here your proud waves shall stop. Is that a God that captures anything in your attention? Unless, of course, the word is not your building block. And then I get to read one of my favorite all-time worship songs at the moment, which says, and as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Something about it, maybe it's because I'm a bit of a muso from way back. Certain words, certain chords ignite my heart. So on top of all this journey and layers of layer that I'm trying to do, what about this verse in the next um, slide? Second Timothy. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way through the word we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. So I keep asking myself, what do I do with all this stuff? I ignore those verses if I don't even believe that the Bible is what it says it should be. And yet there is this gnawing in my being, in my spirit, that says, I'm looking for truth. It's like Alan Patton says, I am looking. I want a compass. I want a light that will not lie to me. Surely we want that. Surely we want something that is trustworthy. Bill Johnson says, it's not so much our inability to hear from God. It is our willingness to hear other voices. The distractions around us sometimes don't under, enable us to see and examine and critique our faith. So we have to sort the following building blocks. We've talked about him as the creator. We've talked about his word, the Bible, the enormity of, what, of who he seemed to be, and lastly, the mystery that somehow I fit with him and he fits with me. The intuitive nature of that. There are four building blocks. What was it in me that keeps searching for more? 
Great statement by Bear Grylls says this, accidents on big mountains happen when people's ambitions cloud their good judgment. Good climbing is about climbing with heart and with instinct, not ambition and pride. And I want to take you now. We've got a shift from a mental ascent of these building blocks and we've got to suddenly start engaging with where we sit with that. We need a decision. It is going to be a yes or a no. So above all else, the mystery of God is this, that I'm a relationship being. And why is it so hard for me to give in? Why is it so hard for me to let him have his way? I'm going to ask you to watch a clip with me in a moment of a guy called Rich Mullins. Now, for the old dudes in the room, uh, Rich Mullins was a, a gospel singer in the 90s in America. And recently, um, on one of the more non-cringy movies on Shine, <laughs> just saying, was one called Ragamuffin. And that describes Rich Mullins to a T. He knew all the foundations, and yet his, and he was a gospel singer and writer, and we're going to hear one of his songs which completely undoes me every time I hear it. And yet he still struggled, and he struggled with the essence of his faith. Have you ever heard the song, Our God is an Awesome God? He wrote that song. Now, would it shock you to the core if I told you that to write Our God is an Awesome God, he sat at a black grand piano, not only was he smoking, but he had a real problem with alcohol. And he sat down and he wrote, our God is an awesome God. And I want to challenge some of the mores and uh, ways of looking that we have. And I want to encourage you today that if you're messed up and you don't know if those building blocks are all right, and you don't know where you stand, I can guarantee you when you call out to him like Rich Mullins did, out of your mouth and out of your words will come the Spirit of God. Now that's pretty radical because I grew up in my little evangelical world, I grew up in a world that says four spiritual laws, you must do this, 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 bingo, you're in. It all works lovely. And we were all cookie-cutter Christians for a long time. And along comes Rich Mullins, and we all sing his songs. And I bet you we'd sit down and not sing them if we knew what he was doing when he wrote that song. I, only share, I, want, I want you to start playing it. I only share with you tonight because this is a question we must wrestle with, and it's called Hold Me, Jesus. Sometimes my life just don't make sense at all When the mountains look so big And my faith just seems so small So hold me, Jesus Cause I'm shaking like a leaf You've been king of my glory Won't you be my prince of
So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. There are blisters on my heart. That's the struggle to make Jesus Lord. Rich Mullins didn't get that long. At the age of 42, he was in his four-wheel drive with the roof down with a friend, and they overturned going around a corner in Southern America. They both survived the crash rolling onto the road. Before he could get up, he was run over by a semi-trailer. And at 42, he was with Jesus. The story and the mental picture of that, what do I do with it? What do I do with God the creator, the Bible being true, reliable, God being enormous and amazing, the God thing that I feel like is me and him, the hand in glove stuff, but something, we're not quite there yet, something still has to change. And that is, it's time to trust. You see, hope and hopelessness are both influences in your life. Hope and hopelessness are both after your world, which will you choose? Listen to what Joni Erickson Tata says. When we learn to lean back in God's sovereignty, fixing and settling our thoughts on that unshakable, unmovable reality, we can experience inner peace. And that's what Rich Mullins so struggled with. And if you watch the movie, 
He struggled to get that peace. He struggled to get that normality and uniformity in his world. And she goes on to say, our trouble may not change, our pain may not diminish, our loss may not be restored, our problems may not fade with the new dawn, but the power of those things to harm us is broken as we rest in the fact that God, God the Creator, God, the Word, is in control. And why is it that I trust all manner of things around this world and yet I struggle to trust God, my Creator? On TV3, our own senior minister, Luke Bro, 10 years ago said this, there are things we understand that our children don't and we can live with that. So too, there are things that God knows that we don't And yes, we can live with that. Can you live with it? Can you live with what you can't explain? Can you live with where you sit in terms of his call to you? You see, I've come to accept a love, a grace, and a peace, and a power that demands one thing of me. It demands my surrender. We started with a foundation and we end with a giving up. So countercultural. Where are you going to find a message like this anywhere in any corporate organization ever that to succeed and to move forward, you need to give up? You need to surrender. I'm going to jump the next little bit, but you can um, believe me it was true. As I start to close out, you know where I'm going with this. I'm, I've started with those things that we debate and talk about. And then I'm starting to edge towards trust, vulnerability, and surrender. When the heart starts to get prized open, and I realize this is not just an, a head thing, this has got to be somewhere in here. And something has to change. A wee while ago, as you might know, we had a tragedy 10 years ago. They're making a movie of that tragedy. It's out in two weeks on TV One. It's called In a Flash. It's a tremendously emotional thing because they're going to reenact what happened to our six kids and the teacher. And as part of that, the, the producer of or director of this movie came to see me. And we sat down on the couch in my office and he said, tell me about who you are. What makes this place tick? Who were these kids that I have to find actors for. And we went through the whole foundational thing. I mean, what I've covered tonight is nothing to what we covered. How would you like to explain the Trinity to a backslidden Catholic? He doesn't even know God loves him. We walked into this auditorium and there was worship on the stage. And he says to me, who's that on the stage? Is that the pastor? I said, no, it's just a teacher playing guitar. It was Amos Ling. Is he allowed to do that? Yes. Well, where's the pastor? Well, I don't know. Does he live here? No, he doesn't live here. (laughs) And we just went round and round in all of these things. And part of the the conversation, he was in absolute tears because God was just taking some stuff and he was overwhelmed with the enormity of loss and how you deal with that. And then he said to me, he said, okay, I've really loved this. And that went on for quite some time. He said, would you come and do the same for the actors? 
I've got 12 actors in West Auckland in a warehouse and they're trying to get their head around those kids. Would it be the same for you, trying to get their heads around what makes us tick? What's at the core of our being? What is it that we will not give up? Because we don't even know what tomorrow holds. So I went over to West Auckland and I sat down and it even went further this time. We actually got into sex before marriage. Well, we didn't get into sex before marriage, but we got into why we don't have sex before marriage. And they kept asking me these questions. What do these people stand for? What are these kids? What would they have done? What would they have not done? And it was really, really amazing. And finally, at the end, the kicker was, he said, well, Murray, you've talked about prayer. You know, explaining prayer to a non-Christian is, oh, that's kind of a challenge. He said, why don't you pray for us? Why don't you pray for us? You see, there is... There is, there is a vacuum. There is a world that won't acknowledge God. And inside of us, there's a secret that needs to be told. But something has to change even within us. They say that Billy Joel's most, his best song he ever wrote was called And So It Goes. And it says, in every heart there is a room, a sanctuary safe and strong to heal the wounds from lovers past until a new one comes along. Well, I'm gonna to say to you tonight, in every heart, there is a problem. It's a problem that you can't fix. It's a problem that I can't fix. My brother and I got stuck in a lift when I was 10 and he was six. It was an old lift that wasn't like automatic, because you know what I mean, this was centuries ago. <laughs> we came from the third to the second floor and the lift stopped midway. It was dark, we had no idea uh, what to do. It was dark, uh, he was crying, oh, actually I was crying too. <laughs> In fact, we were screaming, we didn't know what to do. I remember getting grease all over my hands, I tried to get up to the top and see whether the, the ceiling would open. Long story short, we yelled and yelled and finally my dad who was waiting in the car came in and thought, where the heck are those boys? And he could hear us yelling. And he could see the lift partway up the shaft. And in those days, you had three doors to shut. There was a, first door was a little concertina door that you had to click shut. Then there was two outside doors and one of the doors hadn't clicked shut. And he says, push the door shut. And immediately we did that, down it came. I tell you, I was par paranoid. I, I didn't actually go in a lift until I was, I was not happy going in a lift until I was 21. We come to the bottom and I'd wonder whether it would open. I only tell that story because my time has gone simply is the problem was on the inside, but we needed someone from the outside to point us to the solution. We would have stuck, we would have still been there today and we would have killed each other because, you know, we had our moments, my brother and I. <laughs> the problem was on the inside and same for us. The vulnerability is to say, I can't do this. And Jesus says, and now we're in the evangelical part, I am here to do it with you and for you. The band's going to come, and I'm going to, we're going to play a song, not live, but we'll play it on the YouTube clip. And as we get ready for that, I want you to come back to Rich Mullins. He says this in one of his videos. I'd rather live on the verge of falling and let my security be in the all-sufficient grace of God 
than to live in some pietistic illusion of moral excellence. Not that I don't wanna be morally excellent, but my faith isn't in the idea that I'm more moral than anyone else. My faith is in the idea that God and his love are greater than whatever my sins and any of us commit. I would, would you please stand with me? There's a beautiful song that I play often when I'm driving, which makes my driving go better. And those who know my driving would agree it needs to go better. Called Love Ran Red. And I can't get over the words of this song. song. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the love I've ever known comes like a flood, comes flowing down at the cross. At the cross, I surrender my life. It's no, I don't believe it's an accident that we had communion tonight. I didn't realize it was communion tonight. Because you can do all the foundations, but at some point you have to face up to a cross and say yes or no. You have to face up and surrender, yes or no. You have to face up that this pious six type thing of where you say stuff in an evangelical church but do something else is not gonna cut it. And I'm gonna challenge you as we um, see it come up on the screen, just let God speak to your heart. There's a team here who can come and pray with you. After it's finished playing, the band will just keep playing. And I want want you to challenge you, have I surrendered? Do I need to do it again? There are stuff I don't know. There's a mystery in all of this whole thing. But at some point, you have to say yes or no. Doesn't matter, you you can come back around and you can visit some things. But at some point, you have to lay down the fact that you are not in control. You are not the potter. You are the clay. And I suggest to you, as I close, I've said that three times, I suggest to you that I think he got it right. He is true. He can be trusted. Whether you understand every story in that Bible or not, I can't be the one to choose what to keep in or out. How arrogant could that be? But to read it and to ask God what it's all about is a good thing. But ultimately, it's about trust and surrender. Why don't we play that song? Um, I'll just get off the stage and um, Frosty, you're gonna come up. Just let God speak to us, eh? Need to play it loud. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide.
challenge and you know I just before we just shoot away like we might usually do I'd love to just open up the altar just for a couple of minutes because that act of surrender even though we don't have things all figured out even though we don't make sense of everything is such a powerful moment and it's in those moments that things absolutely shift forever and the greatest part about surrender is you don't have to know how it all works out you simply come before God so just for a few moments I just want to invite some of our pastors and leaders just to step forward and in about 30 seconds time, I'm gonna invite you if you would like to, just to come forward and you stepping forward, you're making a physical movement. It's such a significant part of your surrender journey because although it's a hard thing to step out in faith, to step out and partner with someone that they can stand with you in prayer, uh, that's, that's a moment that God meets you in that place. The Bible says as we draw near to God, He draws near to us. And so in just a moment, if you would like to, you can come forward. We've got a team that would love to stand with you in prayer. We're just gonna open the altar that way just for a few moments please if you could just wait around and not leave unless you absolutely have to and then we'll finish our service all together at the end so you can come right now if you'd love someone to pray for you you can come to the front and one of these team members would love to stand with you in prayer
Jesus, from death to life, I will sing your 